0: This is the Western Obsessions TV podcast, where hunting's not a hobby, it's an obsession. All right, guys, welcome back to the Western Obsessions TV podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Belding. This episode is brought to you by Ready Nutrients. Live ready. And on this episode, I have a really cool guest. I've been watching him for a long time. man. And uh, when you think of I'm not going to give up who my guest is just yet. I need to talk about him a little bit. When you think about Western hunting, this is like, this guy's like the epitome of Western hunting trail Kreitzer. Did I say that right? The last name? Yeah. All right. I was practicing it when we were talking, I was practicing the last name. I never want to butcher a last name, man, but trail. And by the way, trail, how, how cool of a first name is that? Props to mom and dad um you know and I, I just had a little boy trail that uh, he's like a year a little over a year almost a year and a half and I was thinking about all the hunting names that I could name him right and yeah. was just most of them were taken but uh ended up just with a you know his name's Tate, and so it's not really a hunting name but I really wanted to name him something hunting so super cool name sure. but, well, thanks for being on my podcast man I appreciate you how's your day going Good
1: man, it's been good. Yeah, I mean the weather's kind of finally turned. It's uh springtime in Cedar. I live here in southern Utah, and it's been uh spring's kind of the best, you know. You you get a little wind, which is not my favorite, but for the most part, you get 60, 70 degree days and it's sunny, and it's been uh it's been great, man. We've had some afternoon thunderstorms the last week, which is ideal for me. I mean, if you get like a good spring morning with cool temperatures, you get out for a run and then a nice rainy afternoon with a little bit of rain. It's a perfect day. So yeah, day's yeah. going good.
0: Good, man. And it's been a long winter for a lot of our western mm-hmm. states. Here in Colorado, this is the hardest winter I've had since I've lived here. And I've lived here almost 20 years now. And it's been tough. So it's nice to get a little sunshine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We had, uh, we had a lot of snow in southern Utah. It didn't tend to like get down into the valley and then stick for a really long time. But we got good snow. And then the mountains just got, absolutely got pounded. Um, really, kind of the the worst of it was like central Utah, North, you know, you get up to that like four corners area, you got Idaho, Wyoming,, uh, you know, Utah, Colorado, kind of that country got just absolutely pounded and and they're seeing some some issues with wildlife. but for the most part, like southern Utah, central Southern Utah should be an, an absolute banner year. And all the data that I've looked at, I mean survival looks really good for for uh adults and i think you're going to see real healthy fawns and i think you're probably going to see some really good antler growth so you know in my neck of the woods i'm i'm super excited about this year good
0: yeah that's that's great we got we had some bad winter kill here in the northwest corner of colorado and you know this better than anybody man being in mm-hmm. and you know what guys i'm getting ahead of myself a little bit let me kind of introduce Trail. if you've never met never met trail Trail is the uh, research manager for Go Hunt, which is I think one of the cooler hunting companies out there right now. Um, and and Trail, you've been in you've been in the wildlife forever before um, Go Hunt. I think you were a wildlife biologist. Is that right? Yep, and maybe yeah. spent some time with the Utah Division of Wildlife. I think.
1: Yep. Tell, yep, tell my, us a little uh... bit
0: about your back your backstory. And if people don't know who Trail is, you're probably living under a rock. But let me introduce <laughs> you right now.
1: <laughs> um uh man you're giving me far too much credit but um, yeah i uh I, I grew up in southern utah you know born and raised uh a little tiny town just over the hill from where i live now so i live in cedar city now but i grew up in this little town called anemone which is you know maybe 100 300 people i don't know it's tiny yeah. um you know two two rooms schoolhouse i've told this before but i had one other kid in my class all through elementary school so it was just me and him so you know super <laughs> small town real rural upbringing um yeah my my background's in wildlife i uh i uh in my early 20s i i started kind of thinking about professions and what i wanted to do and uh my dad had worked as a park ranger for his entire career we had a reservoir that was right across the street otter creek state park and so he was the park manager for that and um. You know he he kind of lobbied for me and helped me get a job as a seasonal with the forest service so i i worked for the biologist there at the fish lake national forest and it got me out every day uh i was working you know some on a trail crew and then also when i was working for him i was doing you know goshawk surveys uh i was doing habitat work habitat treatments for him and I just loved it, man. I love being out every day. Um, it kind of helped uh, re spark my love of the outdoors, which I'd always had, but like going through high school, you know, sports and girls and those kinds of things were probably a higher priority at that time. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, like I said, in my early twenties, um, you know, that just being outdoors, working for the forest service really sparked like rekindled that interest in me. And then, uh, yeah, I decided said I was going to go to Utah state and get my degree in wildlife science. So I went up there and I did that. And each season I would come back and work for the Forest Service. And uh, right out of college, I finished my degree. Uh, I took a job doing uh, biological clearances. So like wildlife surveys for oil and gas development. So anytime an oil and gas company would be doing any kind of seismic exploration or anything like that, Uh, I would put together the list of like, you know, threatened, endangered, or species of interest. And I would go out and I would do surveys and kind of document those and then work with those guys to make sure that um, whatever drilling operation they were doing that we kind of mitigated the uh, impact to wildlife. So I did that for about three years. And uh, I applied for a job with the Utah Division of Wildlife as a ha- habitat biologist. And I got that job and I did that for a number of years and then eventually kind of worked up into the uh, assistant habitat manager in the Southern region. Um, but yeah, I was doing, you know, habitat restoration work mostly, uh, working with the Forest Service and the BLM to try to, you know, do as much as we could for for wildlife and for habitat. And then, um, I mean, eventually... like my my real love I guess you could say was just like in hunting and I love to hunt I I just I love everything about it I love the adventure in it the planning the prep the gear you know the maps everything hunting and and just the adventure of it and that was kind of really what I was living for I was saving up all my annual leave all my comp time all my sick leave (laughs) everything I could to put together time to get out in the field and, and get hunting in the fall and, uh, yeah, I was kind of freelance writing for go hunt when they were getting started. They started back in 2013 and, and, uh, I was kind of doing some stuff on the side for them just to make a little extra money. And yeah, when the opportunity, uh, came available to, to go to work for those guys and essentially like give me, you know, more opportunity to work within the industry, but then like the big, the big one was just more, more time to to put into it each fall.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's um, and it's tough building the comp and then the money It's expensive to go hunting, even if you are doing DIY, too. And let me back up a little bit. And obviously, you guys can see that trail's been in wildlife forever. Um, let's go back to the small town you grew up in. I grew up in a small town also in a little small town, in Nebraska. My class was 36 people. Your class was yeah. two.
1: <laughs> in, in, in elementary yeah I, I got to high school so they bust all these kids in from these small communities and they would all go to the same high school so i think my graduating class was like 43 i want to say Yeah. So it's slightly bigger than yours but um yeah we had kids that lived in towns that they uh they would get picked up in the dark to go to school and they would get home in the dark because it was just so far out you know in transit so yeah. it's small communities
0: yeah, I, you know, I love I love growing up in a small community. Obviously, like I, as I hit teenagers' years, early twenties, I wanted to get the heck away and find a nearer a city and and do that. And school and sports and girls took priority for me too. And but there's something really to be said about a small community like that, like the type of values that you have and work ethic and 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 did you so like in Southern Utah? Like, did you grow up with mountains around you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I grew up in the, the the flats of Nebraska and whitetail hunting, turkey hunting. So I didn't get the mountain aspect of it, but I was always drawn to that type of outdoors, you know. So yeah, but yeah, there's definitely something to said about small town living, for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I that little town of Anemone, it sits and it sits right in the middle of you know th- three or four mountain ranges. And if you're familiar with applying for elk in the state of Utah, um, you know, you've heard the the word Monroe, the Monroe unit, the beaver unit, the Dutton unit, the Boulder unit. Those four units are all just right there and anemone kind of sits right in the heart of them. So like I, I had the, the Dutton right out my back door. Um, you know, I've got pictures of me as a, as a little kid sitting on a picnic table in the backyard with some elk in the yard, you know, grazing and we used to sit every day on the back porch with the binoculars and we would look at the big sagebrush hill uh, out the back door and just count deer in the winters. They would come down, migrate and, and win it right there in those big sagebrush flats behind the house. And, um, you know, another thing, just as you were talking, I don't know, I talk a lot, so I'm sorry, but oh, like uh, one of the one of the great things I used to remember as a kid was uh, back. Back when I was growing up, you could just buy a general season deer tag over the counter, and we would get this giant influx of uh, people from a lot of them from Nevada, um, you know, from Las Vegas or from Southern California. And they would come up, and since we lived essentially right across the street from a state park, that whole park would be completely full of people that had booked a spot to stay and camp. And then they would go out, you know, hunting all day. So, I mean, that park would just be absolutely crammed full with people hunting. And I would get on my bike, you know, in the afternoon when I get home from school during the deer hunt, I would just ride across over to the park and I would make laps through that park, just looking at all the different deer that were hanging, you know, just to see what would come in. So that was like a cool memory. Like, I'll, I'll never forget that.
0: Yeah, that's very cool. For, for us at that age, it was, we had check-in stations in Nebraska where you had to check your animal in and we would drive around to the check-in stations and check out the animals that were being harvested. You know, that's, yeah. I, I always thought that was super exciting for me as a kid. I don't know. I was a weird kid, but uh, I thought it was super exciting to do it. How did, um, I I love asking this question and, and a lot of times the answer is very similar, but how'd you get into hunting? What was your first experiences there? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it was, it was a family tradition. Um, You know, my, my dad is originally from Indiana. He moved out when he was in his twenties, he and my mom and, uh, really the draw for him to the mountain West was, was for hunting in the outdoors and mountains and, you know, growing up in that environment, in a real rural community, uh, hunting, I think was just like, it was part of the culture. And I mean, I've said this before, but hunter education for me was part of my seventh. I mean, it was my seventh period of school you know, every kid went to Hunter's ed and they had a game and fish officer. He came and and taught the class. Everybody went through that course. So like when I was in high school, everybody that went through Paiute high got Hunter's ed and it was just part of the deal. You know, you you just did it. Um, you know, in high school, they had a deer hunters ball every year, you know, and it was a dance. All the high school kids went, a lot of the community would come down. They would go to the deer hunters ball and they would do raffles and give away guns and, I mean, it was, it was really just like part of the culture that was kind of ingrained in the communities that I grew up in. And then, you know, my dad, I would say he was probably the, you know, the biggest catalyst that introduced me to it. I remember going out on family deer hunts. Uh, I had three older brothers that hunted and, you know, every October we would go out and we would go deer hunting. And I remember a lot of times, you know, going out and just trudging through the snow and hand me down shoes and makeshift clothes and, you know, just looking for deer and hoping we we get a crack at a buck. But um, I would say that was probably like my first introduction was just out hunting mule deer with my dad and my brothers.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, that's fantastic, especially growing up in that type of culture. That's unheard of in a lot of places. And I do hear whisperings here in Denver, even as having hunter safety courses in the high school, which I think are not high school, maybe middle school, maybe maybe high school. I don't remember. But anyway, I thought that was very cool. Because you know you don't think about that in bigger cities like Denver, so I thought that was very nice. Um, but yeah, kind of traditional story of family culture. And now fast forwarding today to, day, to uh, today, you work for Go Hunt as the uh, research manager. And here's what I really like about Go Hunt, man. You guys are always putting out really good content. Like all the, I don't even know how you do it so much. Like there's so much content, so much good content. I really enjoy that. Tell me about tell me about your experience with Go Hunt.
1: Yeah. Um, so, like I said, I I started with them. It was kind of at a time frame when they were looking at open up opening up the 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 Gohan Gear Shop when I came on with them full time, and they were really kind of looking for somebody that uh, could could write and do you know the research for like the application strategy articles that we put out each year for each state and each species. And then also somebody that was kind of a, you know, kind of a gear junkie. And then it also had a bunch of time in the field, um, you know, trying gear and hunting. And uh, I think it was kind of the the pivot point for them where they thought they, they could bring me in full time. And so I came on, I think my official title right now I've kind of had some different roles. I kind of started uh, in that role is like a research role for uh, writing application strategy articles. And then, uh, picking gear for the gear shop. And then as customer service became more of a, a demand, I did a lot of customer service. And then just kind of naturally, I don't know. I mean, I don't think I'm that good on camera and I don't think I'm like that good of a personality, to be honest. I don't think I wouldn't, I guarantee you I will go back and listen to this at some point and be like, man, I'm just kind of a a, a bumbling idiot. You know, I, I don't feel like I, I put myself out there real well with the way I speak. But it, it kind of transitioned somehow into me doing, you know, more content, whether video, uh, you know, social media or uh, podcasting. And um, and that's kind of what I do right now. My roles kind of actually split. I, I spend a lot of the spring, mostly like December through May, uh, writing those application strategy articles and doing a bunch of research. Uh, and, and really trying to put the best information that I can out there for people so that they know where to apply and how to apply and, you know, all the pertinent information that you need to know to kind of navigate the States in the West. And then, um, and then just like doing content. So, you know, podcast video, all that stuff. I got a frog in my throat.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And like I said before, you guys put out so much content at scale and it's such great content. You guys are a really good resource for anybody. That either are is a I, I would say not an expert hunter, but like you know, knows what is what's going on. There's great content for that. There's also really good content for novice for novice hunters too that are just getting into the industry. Um mm-hmm. my thought here goes to like <clears throat> Sorry, I'm having a little bit of a brain fart myself. I've never had this on the, in a podcast. This is new for me. <laughs> I, have it,
1: I have it all. I have it all the time. Welcome, welcome to my world.
0: <laughs> welcome to your world, right? Yeah,
1: I, I typically uh, call it early set Alzheimer's. That's what I've got. Yeah, <laughs> I think.
0: <laughs> so how at so like that's what I'm really interested. In. One is the scale of content that you guys put out. How do you do that? Two is the I really enjoy the branding and how you guys have branded Go Hunt. And you're a big part of that. And, and what I mean by that, I'm in marketing. I love branding. I love that whole business side stuff. And you guys have really used your employees actually really well to brand your company. So your employees are on. And you guys are fun and always having doing something really fun. But tell me about that. Tell me about um, the scale of content. How do you produce so much content? And um, kind of like how the, that branding goes and what do you guys do that for that. Like on yeah. A day?
1: Uh, I would, I would say from, uh, a company standpoint, uh, I mean, we have a hunting culture within, within the company. I would say almost everybody, uh, hunts or is new to hunting and wants to get into hunting. And then, you know, you got Lorenzo who owns the place and, and really started go hunt. That guy's is as diehard a hunter as anybody I know. So I, I think from just an, a company culture, uh, we we all love to hunt. Like we genuinely really like to hunt. And then I, I and I think that's kind of like, I, I use the word catalyst, but that really is kind of like the jump off of the catalyst for, you know, content generation and then, you know, company culture, uh, being kind of wrapped around, you know, hunting and, and really kind of keeping that at the forefront. And then, um, as, as far as like how we put out content, a lot of it is just, it's brainstorming. It's guys like, you know, Brady or me or Chris Neville, uh, you know, sitting around and, and talking about the things that we would like to see, you know, that we would watch, that we would be interested in, uh, kind of generating ideas, uh, you know, based on hunts that we've done. And and then the other, probably the part of that is we try to look at it from a standpoint of, you know, what can we do, uh, with the experience that we've got from hunting to help pass that on and like help educate people help them be more successful or even just like get them started in hunting and i would say that those are those are probably the two driving um you know motors for for generating content one either it's something entertaining or inspiring something that we would want to see and watch ourselves you know maybe want to we want to answer a question ourselves so we go out and kind of explore that or you know what can we do to help people Uh, navigate the process because it is a, I mean, I'm sure you're well aware. I mean, you're from Colorado and if you apply across the West and you look at the various states, I mean, every state does things differently. It's really hard to navigate it, especially if you're just getting into hunting. Um, I had a conversation the other day with a gentleman and, uh, you know, he's kind of an adult onset hunter, I guess is the the word that they're using. But, But, um, you know, I was talking to him and, It would be really hard, I think, as an adult, you know, to try to get into hunting at a later stage in life. Not only just navigating the process of like getting a tag, but then just all the little tips and tricks and gear and the things that you need to actually find some success. And I think if people are going to stay in hunting, which I want them to, I think it's good for the sport as a whole and for the tradition um you know they've got to find some success you know you can't just continually go out there year after year and get your butt handed to you and and think that you're going to keep coming back so you know those types of con that type of content that we can help people you know shorten the curve maybe help them find some success so that we you know get a hook in them if you will not not for go hunt but for hunting in general yeah um so that's kind of a long-winded answer but i i i I mean, we're, we're kind of a small team as far as like content goes, but we, we spend a lot of time just brainstorming and talking about things that we're interested in. And, you know, we're also pulling from a lot of experience. I mean, I've hunted my whole life. I'm in my forties now at this point. Um, you know, I love to bow hunt and I'm kind of a geek about archery and bow hunting. So that's kind of my thing uh, Brady genuinely really loves rifles and shooting. And he puts a lot of time and effort into reloading and dialing in his rifles. And so that's kind of like his level of expertise and he's been hunting for his whole life. And, you know, we've got some young guys, Chris Neville's a little bit younger than both of us, but that guy absolutely loves to hunt and, you know, he's been doing it for a long time. So we've got some experience that we can pull from as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And you guys do a great job again. Like I said, with the content, Um, going back to something you you had brought up about a, um, adult onset hunters, right? There's, it seems to be a pretty good influx of that now in the industry, which is fantastic. I think any new hunter is amazing, is great. Um, and something that I've noticed too, is I, uh, you know, I grew up hunting, but I didn't grow up Western hunting. I didn't start that until in my late twenties. And it was difficult to, because I go from whitetail hunting, sitting in a tree stand in a, in a Creek line somewhere to like, okay, now I got to find an elk on thousands and thousands of acres in the mountain. It's, it was very difficult for me to like that learning curve. So I've started something called the hunt mentor that I'm putting together right now to like help mentor that just exactly what we're talking about. People that want to go hunting, but don't want to spend 10 years to figure it out. So yeah, mm-hmm. and you guys are doing an amazing job of getting that information out there. And I think what it does for your company and on the business side, I'm very, I love to geek out about business too. On the mm-hmm. business side, you guys are becoming the resource for people. And when you're the information hub, that means the attention is on Go Hunt. And then you guys can do whatever you want and make a good business out of it from there, right? The attention comes first and then the business comes after. I mean, point taken with now you've got GoHunt, the map system, um, mm-hmm. you've got the point tracker, you've got obviously like that, that research, that 2.0 tool is amazing. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, go to GoHunt.com, check out their website. Great stuff that they're developing there. What else What, what else do you think would be super important that you guys are doing for someone learning more?
1: Yeah, um, I would say that we, we kind of look at it is a, an ecosystem for, for hunters, if you will. So what we're trying to do is give people the, the tools that they need uh, to know where to apply, how to apply, how to get a permit, whether it's an application and a draw um, or pick one, a, a permit over the counter and then provide maps for them to help them e-scout, know where they can go, uh, how to get there, and then also the the mobile version of the maps to help them navigate in the field. And then also the the gear shop. So we we hand select the gear that we carry in the gear shop. Uh, our approach to a gear shop is we, you know, we don't want to carry everything under the sun. We want to really carry brands and products that we like and use that we've field tested and that we feel good about recommending to people. And then you know the content side of that as well to like help people all know how to navigate all this from start to finish. Um, as far as like the actual research platform itself that you noted, uh, draws is is huge because you know every state in the West uh, has a lottery, if you will, that you have to apply in to then draw a permit. So knowing how to apply and knowing what a draw odd is, you get into a whole discussion about preference points and bonus points and what those are. Uh, so we try to outline and give people an understanding of how those systems work, and then how to use draw odds to help them apply and draw permits. So that's a big part of it. Uh, the filtering 2.0 um, is is essentially it's a filter you can put in your hunt dates. You can filter by season. You can filter by trophy potential. You can filter by harvest success. Uh, you can filter by you know, buck to doe ratios, all these different filters that you can use when you're researching a species in a state to really help you fine tune uh, the hunt that you're looking for. So I mean, if you're primarily a bow hunter, you can throw on the archery, select season option within that filtering 2.0. It's going to show you all the archery options, and then you can use the rest of the filters to really fine tune and help you find a unit to apply for or to hunt. Uh, and draws is also built into that filtering 2.0, so you know you have a, essentially a one-stop shop that can help do all your research. Uh, those are super important. Um, I would say, I mean, I I talk about them a lot because I write them. Are these application strategy articles? uh i spend a ton of time on those articles <laughs> i would i i've added it up before actually but usually from like a december to a may time frame i'm typically like 350 to 400 written pages of of text and graphs uh which i've you know pulled from state biology reports or from talking to guides and outfitters or to other hunters Uh, and looking at harvest statistics and draw trends and all that information, I'm kind of pulling and putting that together. And I'm putting that into these application research articles. Uh, That's going to give you things like populations, you know, buck to doe ratios, kind of the hit list, like the best units in the state, Um, you know, winter kill information. We try to offer all the, you know, the precip and any kind of weather related information that might help you with your application uh, but we we put a ton of time into those. And I actually think if if it were me, and I'm I was recommending somebody that just got a Gohan insider membership, if they're considering p- applying for a state uh, and a species, that would probably be one of the first places I would send them because within that first two pages, you're gonna really understand the dates that you need to apply and the intricacies of that draw system and how it works.
0: Yeah. So it's it's literally a one-stop shop. It's by yeah. far the best. Tool that I use to research hunting is Go Hunt. Um, I, and you literally could do, let's say you're saying everything. Like if you've never even applied to a state, you can go there and learn how to apply to state. You can learn about the preference points. For me, I use a, a lot. Like I, I've i planned hunts 100% on Go Hunt. I've said, mm-hmm. okay, I've got these many points in this state. What does this say about these units? What am I looking for? And I use the filtering tool. I'll research your, read the articles. I'll literally, I mean, use the maps as in my e scouting and mm-hmm. I don't even need to step foot in that state before and I'm already ready to go. I mean, obviously once you get there, you get boots on the ground. Sometimes things change it's a little bit different, but I don't need to go and drive to another state and scout. I could do almost, I could do pretty much everything off of Gohan, which has made my life a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fantastic.
1: Yeah, you you can. It's a it's a robust uh ecosystem, like I said. And and that's kind of the goal of it when they started out, uh, was to make it a platform that can really help you, you know, take you all the way from planning and preparation all the way through your hunt and you know, provide, you know, the the means to get a tag, the means to navigate when you get into the field, know where to go through all the different tools and features that are built within Go Hunt Maps. Um, you know, Go Hunt Maps is it's progressed so much just in the last couple of years. Uh, you know, I was talking to Brady earlier today. He's working on some content, and he was talking about uh, using elevation bands, which is a tool built within uh, Go Hunt Maps where you can essentially color code your maps based on the elevation range that you want to look at, and then you can also highlight uh, slope aspect or, you know, the the degree of the slope. And you know, through just those three things, pretty quickly, depending on the hunt you have, you can pick out areas to really start to fine tune and key in on your research. So there's all these little tools and uh, layers built within Go hunt maps that can really, I mean, the the learning curve is so much shorter than it was when I was a kid.
0: <laughs> man, so much shorter. We didn't even I remember going hunting and I used the Google Earth on my phone. To help navigate me around. And like the guys I was hunting with were like, What is that? What are you doing? Oh my God, that's a game changer. Like you're, you're yeah. revolutionizing the industry. And now we've got like Go Hunt maps. We got all these tools. It's, and yeah, definitely makes hunting a lot easier. And what I really like about it is like, I'm not afraid to go deep into the woods somewhere in the mountains somewhere. I'm not afraid to go to other states. It's really opened up the yeah. uh, possibilities of hunting for me and anybody else that wants to do that, you know? Yeah. The, the,
1: the barrier uh, of entry is much lower than it was, you know, when we were growing up. Um, it, it is interesting to me. I mean, I, I still hear people say that, you know, 90%, you know, or 10% of the people, the hunters are still going to kill 90% of the game, you know, even with all the tools and tricks that we have. Yeah. And I don't know if that's totally, you know, as, as true as it might've been once upon a time, but I mean, all the tools are there and they all exist. You just, you got to, dig in do the research and like put them to
0: use yeah yeah and it's it's still hunting (laughs) maybe it's 15 percent now but maybe i gotta like put in the work (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) so all right man obviously we definitely hammered on on go hunt because i believe and i love the company man i think you guys are doing amazing stuff but trail is is more than just go hunt so let's get into what uh trails life is like man so you have a wife you have three boys is that right Mm-hmm. Yep. yeah what's um what's your boy's names?
1: yeah my oldest boy uh will turn 18 actually this june so he'll be 18 in june his name is landon uh my middle child my middle boy is 13 his name's colin and then my youngest is 10 and his name's owen Very cool. so yeah they're all kind of spread out a little bit but yeah three three boys which keeps me hopping
0: oh yeah does everybody hunt in your family
1: Um, yeah, my oldest boy definitely hunts, but it's really interesting. Like you, you have kids and you look at your kids and you think, oh, they're, I see things in him that are like me. And I see things in my middle child that are more like me, um, and, and even my younger one, but my older one is a lot like me. Uh, and right now, like his major focus is basketball. It's all he wants to do is play basketball. And, you know, like he's either in a weight room or a gym, and just absolutely loves it. And he loves to hunt, but it's, it's kind of a secondary for him at this point. And it's, it's not going to shock me at all if, you know, he progresses through graduation and then into college years. And then as he starts to, you know, get into his adult life, if he, you know, doesn't look back on it and go, yeah, I I really missed that challenge and that opportunity to go hunting. So um, he hunts for sure. Uh, My middle kid is not as interested, which is okay. I, I still, you know, try to get him out, but he's not quite sure if he wants to pursue it. Um, I think he will eventually. It, it's interesting. Of my three boys, I think he probably has the potential to be one of the one of the best hunters of the three of them because he's uh, super patient. Um, he's very observant. He's very self aware, and I think he's got kind of a unique skill set uh, that's probably unique among the three of them. Uh, That would make him, in my opinion, I think he would probably be an excellent hunter, but he's not quite sure if he wants to do it or not. And then uh, my youngest boy, uh, I just finished hunter's education with him. And he's, I mean, he's diehard. He wants to go so bad.
0: (laughs) That's great. I've got a a 13 year old daughter that's been my hunting buddy for the last few years, but she's getting into that stage right now where like, man, I don't think I want to go with you this year I don't I don't know I like I want to hang out with my friends and you know and I love to like that kind of that backpacking harder western style hunt and and I don't know like I'm a little near leery to like push her to that because I don't know Mm -hmm. if she would enjoy it the way I would enjoy it right so it's a little bit sad to see them their interest fall but I'm with you where I like I bet you that comes back around later in the years just like it did for me and you
1: you know yeah her, her time will come, you know, I, I think, I don't know. I just think it's the progression and I look back on my life and you know, yeah, you, you have different se- stages of your life and I, I think they'll come back to it. I think so. Yeah. What about oh, your wife? Not, right.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, my, my wife is, um, she, she's interested, like she'll go hunting. Um, it was interesting. She, she actually hadn't had hunters education, uh, until my oldest boy needed, needed to go through hunter education. And I told her at the time, I said, Hey, you know, Lennon's got to go through hunters ed. Why don't you just jump in and go with him and you'll both get it done. You'll both do it. And if you want to hunt great, if you don't no biggie. Um, so they both did hunter education together. And then that first year I applied her for an elk tag in Utah and, you know i absolutely did not think she would draw at all i mean nobody draws with zero points right but she drew uh probably one of the most co- coveted units in the state her very first year and and she went out we, we hunted three days it was in uh, november it was a late rifle hunt and, and she killed a 340 bull killed a great bull mm. and awesome. uh you know had a good experience and it was really excited about it and i think the next year i applied her for just a general season deer tag and took her out and she uh ended up scoping herself really, really good. Uh yeah, on, on, on a on a little mule deer buck. And that hunt was entirely different from the elk hunt in that, you know, the elk hunt we didn't see a soul for four days because it's a limited entry elk hunt late season. We hunted a part of the unit that, you know, traditionally doesn't get a ton of pressure. Uh, versus a general season deer hunt where there's people everywhere. You know, there's a lot of pressure, there's animals moving, there's more of a competitive, you know, feel to it, if you will, when you're in the field. And, uh, she was not into that. Like she was the elk hunt. So, um, she, she hasn't hunted since she's not opposed to it by any means. And I still apply her for, you know, good tags. I typically take like a swing for the fences approach with her applications, but, um, yeah, she's, she's kind of in the middle somewhere.
0: Yeah. I don't blame her. I'm not a big fan of pumpkin patch hunting either. I got yeah. like pumpkin patch, right? Because there's orange everywhere. I, I would rather be I'd rather not see any animal but not see any other humans. And I'm happy. Mm-hmm. I love being alone on a mountain. I don't I don't like that competitive feel with a gun or a bow on a mountain. I just it's not, I don't like uh, my competitiveness is in sports and stuff, other stuff I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think most people are probably that way too. Yep. But my uh yeah my wife is not into hunting she likes to fish so I'll I'll take her fishing but hunting she's not really doesn't care about she definitely doesn't want to do like the backpacking hunting thing so it actually plays to my advantage so now we're not competing with like who's watching the kids who's going hunting kind of thing you know so that's that's really nice too yeah (laughs) so uh, I got a good question for you trail um tell me about I mean, obviously, I mean, you've hunted lots of years here, but what was, what would you say was like the worst hunt you've ever been on? Everyone wants, and I want to know about your best hunt, but like, first I want to hear about your worst hunt. Uh
1: Worst hunt I've ever been on. Spot, huh? Yeah, that's a tough one because I, uh, I don't know that I've ever really had a bad, like a bad hunt in the sense that like when I came back from it, you know, I, I just absolutely hated it. Uh, even hunts where I've eaten tags and I've eaten some tags. Um, you know, I I've come back home and and I've been pretty grateful for the experience. And typically what happens for me is I get home from a hunt regard, whether I've tagged out or not. Uh, and whether it's been, you know, quote unquote good hunt or maybe one that didn't quite live up to my expectations. Um, I come home and I get those first few days in front of my computer and, you know, whether it was a good hunt or a bad hunt, like I just want to be back out there, you know? Yeah. So, uh, I've had some really tough hunts and I've had some situations that, um, you know, maybe didn't live up to my expectations. Uh, I would say probably the worst hunts I've had have been the type of hunt that you're talking about, like a high pressure, you know, late rifle hunt, it's just over the years I've kind of learned that maybe I'm not the it's either, maybe I'm not the best rifle hunter or it's just, you know, the hunts that I I typically don't enjoy as much because there is so much pressure. And a lot of it seems to be, you know, like who is the closest guy to that animal when they see it. And, And I would say that the hunts that I'm thinking of have been, you know, second or third season rifle tags in Colorado. And, uh, I've been on a couple of those where I've been at my glassing point before light. It gets light. I've glassed up a good buck and I'm throwing all my gear in my pack and I've watched that buck get shot. And it's not that that's a bad, a bad hunt per se, or even a bad experience. It's just a little, it's frustrating, you know?
0: Yeah, it is frustrating. And especially if the time and energy you spent on that hunt and there's nothing we can do about it and it's not like we don't want people to hunt we just don't want people to hunt in our spots (laughs) yeah the the the
1: thing is is like I, i could have been that guy i that day i could have been the guy that was in that location when that buck was where it was and and i would have shot that buck and i probably would have had a great hunt but i've had i've had multiple hunts i can think of that are you know those late season rifle hunts where it just feels like I can't outwork anybody. And I, I like those types of hunts. Those are the types of hunts that I seem to excel at. And they do pretty good is like, I can outwork people. Like I can go farther. I can go, I can stay longer. And some of those that felt like the pressure was so high and you know, the deer because of weather and whatnot, were so concentrated. It just felt like it was kind of a luck of the draw. It was like, who was closest to that animal on that day. And I just, I felt frustrated in the sense that I didn't feel like I could work as hard as I want and get the success because of it, right? And I will
0: say, and I hunt a lot in Colorado. On last few years, Colorado's definitely been hammered with like over-the-counter hunts for sure. Uh, but I think people are going deeper and further now than they used to. Because I, man, I get in there super deep and thinking that I'm alone, and come to find out, I am not alone. <laughs> There's a yeah. lot of people around me, you know. So. I think it's definitely evolved with all the technology now, you know, and education that people have is it's -hmm. definitely evolved where we run into that situation here time and time again. And it's okay. It's all right. I'd rather be doing that than, than anything else anyway. So. Yep. Now flip side, do you have a hunt Mm -hmm. in mind that you like is one of your favorites?
1: Um, yeah, I do. And I've, I've got a lot of them. It I don't want to say that like one is clear and clear and above and beyond um you know my very favorite because they're all i've got mul- multiple hunts that are my favorite for for different reasons uh you know I, and maybe i'll just mention a couple but you know i went on an alaskan moose hunt with a friend it was a a guy that i'd met at a you know the western big game uh or the western hunting expo in salt lake and he and I just kind of exchanged information over a couple of years, and put together a hunt, and went up and hunted uh, moose for ten days, and that was one of my favorite for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons was just just a completely new environment, and and hunting a new species that I didn't actually think I would ever hunt in my lifetime. I I really didn't. I just didn't know that I would ever have you know the financial means to go on a hunt like that, and. know this one wasn't that expensive because we did it all ourselves i mean all the everything we did we did our own and so it was actually relatively cheap and i was able to afford it but um just to see those animals you know i mean just unbelievable size of those things is was incredible and just to like interact and see them uh you know i the very first day i'll never forget we kind of you know docked you know pulled up on the shore in the boat that we had and we hiked up a ridge. We got to the top of the ridge and we glassed up this big bull moose that was bedded in a saddle. And he would uh, lay his his antler over and one palm down. And he was kind of taking a, you know, mid-afternoon siesta. And I made a loop on him and I stocked up on him and I crawled in. There was, you know, tall grass and I crawled into 40 yards of that bull, you know, with my bow in my hand. And, you know, there's just this giant paddle sticking up out of the grass as he would lay over his head. And I fell in love with the idea of like crawling up and getting as close as I possibly could to shoot this bull with my bow. And, you know, anytime he would lay that antler over, I would crawl in and I would crawl in and um, that bull actually ended up getting spooked. I was, I was within range. I could have shot that bull for an hour and I didn't just because I was like, Oh, I want to get, I want to be five yards or 10 yards, you know? (laughs) And, uh, he ended up getting spooked by a, a big grizzly bear that actually came up and over and, and down the Ridge. And I didn't get a shot at him. He turned and ran dead away from me. And, and um you know, that entire experience though was like lived with me ever since, you know, I, I just, I, I absolutely love that experience. Just even though I didn't kill that bull, but that entire hunt, I mean, just the adventure in it was incredible. And I, I think for me, a lot of the draw uh, for hunting is, is the adventure. It's just that like, wild, you know, what could happen today. And and I love that adventure. Um, I'm, I'm locked here, but I'm going to tell you one more. And this is probably, this is probably my, like my true favorite, probably like the, the you know, the most visceral, like vivid memories that I have as a haunt is, uh, I drew an tag in New Mexico and it was a wilderness area. Uh, I went down solo, you know, com- completely by myself, no cameraman, just me, and uh, I like to hunt that way. I, I'm I'm typically kind of a loner. I mean, day to day, I spend a lot of time by myself. I'm kind of a awkward, socially awkward guy anyway, and so uh, I spend a lot of time on my own, and I'm one of those guys that I don't mind, you know, days and days on end without, you know, talking or seeing anybody else, so uh, I went on this hunt. was a backpack elk hunt, and I went by myself, and it took me... You know, probably nine days, I think, to really find and figure out that kind of the movements and where I was getting into elk every day. And, you know, throughout those nine days, it had snowed on me. It was super cold. You know, I was hunting at 11,000 feet and I was living off my back with a backpack. And so, you know, everything is on your back. You're moving miles every day trying to figure this hunt out. And, uh, I think it was the ninth day I got onto this herd of elk right first thing in the morning. And I trailed these things for probably three and a half, four miles. And I remember very vividly, there were multiple times when I would just like, I'm not going to catch these elk. I don't know what I'm doing. Why am I following these elk? Like I can hear them and they're just continually getting farther and farther and farther. And it's a herd bull and he's got some satellites and he's got a big harem of cows And I just kept thinking like, this is kind of pointless. Like this is never going to happen, but like, I just, for whatever reason, I just kept going and I kept going and I finally kind of started to cut the distance as they were moving towards a bedding area, like mid afternoon. And, um, I remember I kind of slipped in and this herd bull ran off a satellite bull and I cow called a couple of times, and I think he must have thought that he had a couple of cows that had like held back, you know, that were you know out of the harem. And he came trotting out, and he he trotted out. I was in a burn area, and he bugled once at like 60 yards, and then he just kind of turned and he walked in, and he walked in, you know, totally broadside at 45 yards, and he stood there and bugled, and then he kind of turned his head away from me, and I drew and and I shot him, and he you know went down the hill, and he died maybe a hundred yards, but. I remember when I finally found that bowl, just like this overwhelming just flood of emotions, just like relief, you know, like i like I'd finally done this thing that seemed so impossible, and I'd worked so hard at it for so many days. Uh, I essentially had no food left. I think I had one mountain house left and I had a pack of like energy shoes in my backpack and that was it. Like I was down to just absolutely nothing. And I think when I look back on all the different hunts that I've done, that's like one moment that I always go back to is just like, man, I, I did something special, you know? And, and it meant a lot to me that I, that I put that much work and that much effort into it and, and that it worked out. Um, and the other thing is I, I didn't see a single person for 10 days. So I was, you know, I was 10 days completely solo on my own, not another person. So
0: that's amazing, man. Yeah. I think I've, the, Hearing you talk, man, and i I've, I'm very similar to you in the fact that I love the adventure. That's, that's the experience for me is the adventure. I love going solo hunting. Um, you know, just being, and not trying, I do a lot of self-filming and stuff for my show and when I can get out there and not film it and just immerse myself into the wilderness, I just absolutely love it. But how far, how far back were you during that time? Cause you've been like following the elk for a long time. Were you like miles and miles?
1: Yeah. I think I killed that bull. I was, um, I want to say like 11 miles as the crow flies. Holy! Yeah. And there's, there's a whole other part of this story. I, (laughs) um, I, I had a packer lined up, uh, to come in and, and help me pack it out. Yeah. And I had an in-reach device. So I in he didn't have an in reach device. So what I would do is I would in reach my wife. My wife would then call him on the phone and tell him, you know, the the directions is on how to find me. And so I I killed that bull. I got him all quartered, taken care of uh mid afternoon. And then I had messaged her. She'd messaged me back, said yeah excuse me, he's good to go. Um, you know, he'll be there tomorrow and he had clear directions on where I was. And so the next day came and I waited the whole day and he never showed. And, uh, that night I texted her back and I said, have you heard from him? And it was late. It was like 11 o'clock. And she said, yeah, I I just got a message or I just, I just talked to him. And, uh, he said that he'd gone up there and he'd rode all day and wasn't able to find you. And, uh, I was like, well, I, you know, I haven't moved. I'm right here. I'm still with the bull. You know, if he has a GPS unit, like there's no way he could have missed me. I'm literally right here with the elk. And uh, she said, okay, what do you want me to do? And I said, well, you know, call him back and see if he'll come back tomorrow. And I will just hike out tonight and I will hike out to the trailhead and I'll meet him at the trailhead. And so, uh, that's what I did. And I think I started out of there. It was late. It was, like I said, it was like 11 o'clock, you know, when I started hiking and I, it was an absolute downpour. Like I've never been so drenched in my whole life. And I hiked the entire length of the night, you know, into the early morning hours to hit that trailhead. I remember being so cold and just so hungry. Cause I'd ran out of food. uh i remember i stripped off all my clothes and just threw it there in the back of the truck and i jumped in the truck and just cranked the heater and i sat there and ate pretty much everything i had left (laughs) in the truck and uh you know this guy did roll up and meet me finally i got a you know fresh change of clothes and then he and i rode in together and it you know it took us most of the day to get in on horseback and and get that elk out but we did get it out but i mean i i think it's like you know it's it's kind of overused maybe but it's that type two fun you know and I think that's the thing that makes it the, the, the best. It's just when you put that much work and that much effort and then it does work out, there's really no better feeling than that. When, you know, you finally get everything back to the truck and you're headed back home and you know, you've got antlers in the back of your truck and you look at them in your rear view. There's nothing like that feeling
0: Nothing like it, man. And as I'm listening to you talk about the hike and the rain and you know, how far it was like, I'm like, Oh man. That sucks. But at the same time, I'm like, yes, I like statistics. I like just really love that type of suffer for some reason. (laughs) I just really enjoy it. You know, if you, if you put two animals and one's a hundred yards away and the other one's three miles away and it's exact same animal, I'm always going after the one three miles away. I don't know Mm -hmm. why I just love that challenge. And it's just a sweeter victory, you know, so just, just who I am, I guess, but yeah. Yeah um what do you have tell me i'm all immersed in that story now man that's a, that's a great story <laughs> but um tell me about um if you had to go on like what's your dream hunt like what no money aside because there's some hunts that are like super expensive but for me i'm like man i don't really care about it it's not even the money it's not that big a deal to me but what's your dream hunt man M- no no money involved
1: um I would say <laughs> I, this is a, it's actually a harder question than you might think for me. Sure. Um, and, and it's because I don't necessarily, I don't like covet. I don't covet animals, you know, per se. Like I, I mean my, my bread and butter, I, this is genuinely the truth. I could hunt deer, elk and antelope, uh every year or combination you know every few year i'd be really happy because i i really do i just i love those animals and i love i love their antlers you know i love antelope hunting i think they're one of the the most special species in the west i mean they are they're just a gorgeous animal they're a really neat animal to hunt uh so i love hunting them um and really when i look at my hunting schedule every year those are like the ones that i want to put in my pocket you know uh I I love the, I love Alaska. I mean, I've done caribou, I've done moose. Uh, I've never had the opportunity to hunt a sheep species, but I don't really necessarily feel like I've been bitten by the, the sheep bug per se. Um, I would, I would love to get a chance to hunt doll sheep, but I don't think it's such a high priority to me that I would ever, uh, you know, spend the kind of money that it would take to, to go on a guided hunt in Alaska. I just don't, value it at that level um as i'm talking though and as i was running the other morning i got to thinking about it and i think i would really like to do you know like new zealand yeah Zealand tar hunt a tar hunt. and yeah yeah, tar yeah i think that would be incredible and and a lot of it is just because the scenery is so incredible uh you know an absolute adventure the travel involved to get there uh and just the ruggedness of that terrain and then i just think they're a really cool unique animal so i'm gonna i'm gonna say right now as of today it could change in a week but i'm gonna say today just since i was running the other day and thinking about it i would really like to do a new zealand
0: tar hunt yeah i think that would be fantastic i don't know a lot about tar but i do know like the terrain that they live in and it's definitely rugged but yeah but i think new zealand would be fantastic but i'm kind of the same way like i have not been bit by the sheep bug um i'm not I don't have the capabilities to drop that kind of coin on a hunt yeah. anyway. Um, you know, if, if it got put in my lap and I, I was able to go, sure, absolutely, I'm going. <laughs> you know, But I really enjoy the more rugged hunts, like the archery elk hunt. I'm going on my first caribou hunt this year on Attic oh. Island in Alaska, and I'm very excited about that. That caribou is on the top of my list just because it's a cool animal in Alaska. Never hunted Alaska before. It's my first time. And I'm not even mainland. I'm out on an island, so... Mm-hmm. But, but stuff like that really gets my blood pumping, you know, so. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you
1: one that's kind of recently bit me is the, uh, sheep. barbary sheep.
0: Yeah. Barbara and, sheep. uh,
1: yeah, I drew, I drew a tag in New Mexico in January and I went down on that hunt and I spent six days and I ended up killing a ewe. Uh, I looked at a ton of sheep, I saw some rams, but nothing that was, you know, a good representation and just wasn't like a big mature ram. Mm -hmm. And then recently we had the opportunity, we went to Texas and that was on a, you know, it was a private land chunk. And with a guy that had, um, I don't know if it was a lease or if he had a guiding outfit on him, but it was, it was a backpack hunt. So we, I mean, we backpacked all of our water in and everything. It was a, a full backpack hunt. Um, but I mean, those—they're so cool. Yeah. Honestly, they're the—they're so dang cool. Those sheep. I think Barbary
0: the sheep. Ugliest, coolest-looking animal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're ugly as heck, but they're super cool, and they live in the nastiest terrains.
1: Nasty terrain. I mean, nasty. Every everything has thorns. I mean, the cactus—it's hotter than hell, and you know they don't really need water. I mean <laughs> yeah. the the water, but they don't. They're desert dwelling animal, and just so rocky, so rough. And then I th- I mean their their horns are. I think their horns are cool. And then they've got the chaps and the beard. I just think they're such a such a striking animal. And I I've kind of fallen in love with those recently. I just think they're really cool. Yeah,
0: I've been to Mexico a couple times hunting oddad, and I shot one this last year. And and it was on you know I was in Mexico, so I definitely was with a guide but Mm -hmm. it was a hard hunt physically very Mm -hmm. hard hunt and i enjoyed that a lot and uh, rocky you're right like everything's trying to poke you and everything's trying to stab you and but i really enjoyed it man so i want to get down to texas and do some in-state odd dad hunting so i'm this is something i'll be researching this year and probably be using uh well i don't know does go hunt i don't know do you guys do barber sheep yeah i'll be using yeah yeah. we
1: yeah so map maps wise we cover all 50 states so you'd have all the map information that you would need um we don't cover you know texas is is uh you know the hunt so we don't have like filtering and all that for texas yet um but yeah i mean maps you'd have everything that you need to know to to go navigate it and figure it out
0: nice man well any cool exciting hunts this year i guess we don't know what tags we've drew Mm -hmm. yet um on a few states but anything you got coming up yeah, I um
1: I'm waiting for Utah. So Utah said that they were supposed to have, you know, done the draw and they would get your results back by the 31st of May, which I guess they still got a few days to go, but I've been patiently waiting for Utah. Uh this would be the first year I'm hoping that I'll have a just a general season deer tag for my favorite unit and I think probably four years. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um I'm super excited about it because I think like I said it's going to be a really good year uh but i i hit pay dirt like i i'm never lucky like i never draw tags ever like the, the random tags i never draw those i'm always burning points you know like max points to draw a tag and i drew a late season archery mule deer hunt and uh and probably one of the best units in the state my i looked at my draw this was my first choice my draw to draw that were 0.65 percent
0: so, yeah let than get out a little bit in nevada nevada mule deer late what, yep. what time of year is that is that like just november december
1: it's a november 10th through the 20th yep so it's it's kind of a, a rut hunt with a bow yeah. i think there's only nine total tags i think there was only two non-resident tags so i yeah. mean absolutely no pressure whatsoever and just the opportunity <laughs> to hunt rutting mule deer in a great unit in nevada so i am i'm as excited about this hunt as i've been in a long time i mean i'm jacked
0: yeah and that's and it's an archery hunt i love archery mule deer hunting when there's no pressure like the pressure you're gonna have (laughs) Mm you gotta have some pressure two tags and you drew one of them that's awesome man
1: yeah yep so i've got that one um i've always got to have an elk hunt in my pocket so i'll probably do you know, maybe just OTC in Colorado and come join the rest of you guys. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I've got some spots that I really like and we've had some success in. So I'll probably run out and do that. And I, I mean, I, I did apply for a unit in Colorado that I should have, you know, 50 to 60, 70% odds. Uh, I've got a, a decent number of points there. So there's always the chance that that comes back with a successful result in uh, early June. So
0: I'm waiting on that as well. Yeah. It's almost here. We're not quite there yet.
1: Just Man. The
0: results. Yeah.
1: I'm just waiting on pens and needles in several states. They just need to get get some draw results coming back.
0: Yeah, that's very cool, man. Well, Trail, thanks so much for your time, man. I'm gonna end the podcast here. I know you got things to do. I'm sure I do too. But thanks so much for your time, you guys. Uh, and and Trail, I really appreciate you being on on my podcast. And this is the Western Obsessions TV podcast. I'm your host Kurt Belding, and you were listening to Trail on uh, one of the cooler podcasts I've done.
1: Thanks, Kurt. Man, I appreciate it. It was fun.
0: Thanks, man. This is the Western Obsessions TV podcast, where hunting's not a hobby, it's an obsession.